Our second reading today comes to us from the prophet Isaiah, chapter 9, verses 2 through 7. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who lived in a land of deep darkness, on them light has shined. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with the joy at the harvest, as people exult when dividing plunder. For the yoke of their burden and the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor you have broken is on the day of Midian. For all the boots of the tramping warriors and all the garments rolled in blood shall be burned as fuel for the fire. For a child has been born for us, a son given to us. Authority rests upon his shoulders, and he is named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. His authority shall grow continually And there shall be endless peace for the throne of David and his kingdom. He will establish and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time onward and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. This ends the reading of God's holy word. May God add many blessings to the hearing of it. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Let us pray. Gracious and loving God, we've come into your house and gathered in your name to worship you. Enable us to hear your call in our lives. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts here together be found pleasing and acceptable in your sight. Our Lord, our Rock, our Redeemer. Amen. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. We know what it's like to walk in darkness. But we often don't really know what darkness is. During the puppet show, Shirley asked the children, have you ever been hungry? Well, have you ever known real hunger? And I would ask the same question with darkness. Have you ever been in true darkness? Even our homes, when we turn off all the lights, there are still lights of our neighbors, lights from the city, lights that come into our house. But true darkness is harder to find. Where I grew up in Tennessee, we're about a mile south from Mammoth Caves, a cave system in Kentucky. And we would occasionally go and and tour the caves. And I remember one time, I was probably in junior high, but this has always stuck with me. The guide said if we were to turn off all these lights, it would be pitch black. You would not be able to see your hand in front of your face. He said if those lights were on for seven to ten minutes, you would become off for seven to ten minutes. You would become so disoriented, you would start to lose your balance and wouldn't even be able to stand up. We've not experienced that type of darkness. When I think of the darkest darkness that I've ever experienced, I think back to when I was a firefighter. And as you would hope, we had to go through many, many trainings. And one of the last trainings I participated in was in a building that they were going to tear down. And it was a cinder block building and it had a basement. Because they were going to tear it down, they said, have at it, do what you guys want. 
And so we had exercises where we had to go into the basement that there were no lights in. It was mostly underground. We had a smoke machine filled it with smoke. And we had to go in in pairs. And we got so far in with our, our, our SCBA, our breathing apparatus on. And then we had to turn off our lights and try to find our way out. And you could not see anything. No light penetrated that basement. It was as dark as I'd ever seen. And after a few minutes, if you hadn't made it, you're out. We'd send another firefighter in to find you. And when you saw that light coming in through the darkness, it was the most beautiful, brightest light you've ever seen. And I thought about that. For the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Now, we might not know what it is to walk in darkness as far as natural, complete darkness But we know what it is to walk in metaphoric darkness, in figurative darkness. We've all suffered losses. We've all grieved. We've all mourned. We've all been hurt. We've all had something in our life that has sent us into a period of darkness. But even in that darkness, there is a great light. Even in that darkness, when we are grieving, when we are mourning, when we are hurting, when we feel abandoned and alone, God is there. God is with us. God is our great comfort. But there's a rub to that. I wish it could be that clean, that simple, that that easy. But life rarely is. Yesterday, well, the past few days, Heather and I and Hannah went up to Pittsburgh on Thursday night. Heather and I went to the Titans and Pittsburgh game. And if you want to talk about great darkness, I could tell you how that game went. <laughs> but on the way home, we decided we're going to stop at Hagerstown and go to the outlet mall. And I needed a few new shirts and get a jump start on, on uh, Christmas clo- uh, shopping, and Hannah's always growing, and so we got her a few outfits. And every store we went in was playing Christmas music. And then you walk out, and it's Christmas music, and it's different Christmas songs, and just a barrage of Christmas. I checked my email when I got into the office this morning, and every other email was, Black Friday sales start now. Christmas is upon us. The anthem, the choir sing, had elements of um, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel and had a very Advent and Christmassy feeling to it. And this reading from Isaiah today is one that often is read during Advent. In fact, the only time I've read and preached from it is either Advent or Christmas Eve. We think of it as famous for Advent. In the darkness, the people saw a great light. We use it during our, our liturgy of lighting the Advent candle. And this is one thing I like about the narrative lectionary versus the revised common lectionary that that most churches uses, is it takes things in order. This passage wasn't thought to be about Christ. As I was studying and preparing for this sermon, I looked at it in Hebrew, and I noticed that there was some ambiguity. And so I wanted to look at some other translations. This passage makes us think of Christmas because of verse 5. 
uh, which uh, the Messiah uses so much. Or verse 6, excuse me. For a child has been born for us. A son given to us. Authority rests upon his shoulder. And he is named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. The Jewish Study Bible translates it another way. For a child has been born to us. A son given to us. And the authority rests or is upon his shoulder. And the wondrous advisor, the mighty God, the everlasting father called his name the Prince of Peace. Both are grammatically correct. The, the original language is ambiguous enough that it could be translated either way. In the New Revised Standard Version and most Protestant versions... The child that's been born to us is named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. But in the Jewish Study Bible, it's the Wondrous Advisor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, who names the child the Prince of Peace. It's a subtle but important difference. And I think this speaks to this prophecy, to how it's understood When Isaiah first arrived on the scene, Israel was in a time of decline. They were going to be uh, captured soon and exiled by Babylon. And Babylon's powers were building across from its borders. It faced enemies at every turn. They knew they were in trouble. And so Isaiah writes of comfort. He writes of a son, a king that will be given to them, who will inherit the throne of David, who will be the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting father, the prince of peace. And the Jewish people thought and still think that this would be an earthly prince, a prince that would bring power and might, would bring military strength and political savvy. But that prophecy wasn't fulfilled for 600 years. As Christians, we understand it differently. We read into this that it's about Jesus Christ. That He is the wonderful Counselor. He is the mighty God. He is the everlasting Father. He is the Prince of Peace. So we read this at Christmas Eve when Christ is born. We read this as Christ is the light that shines in the darkness. We believe this and embrace it. But prophecy works in funny ways. The Jewish people thought that God would be sending them an earthly king. And even when Jesus was with his disciples, some thought that Jesus would usher in an earthly kingdom instead of a heavenly one. We see that God works in funny ways. God works in mysterious ways. God works in ways that we can't comprehend or understand. One of the biggest misunderstandings of modern Christianity is that if you're Christian, you will live a great life, you will live a peaceful life, you will prosper. And that is not true. God never promises that. The scripture never promises that. In fact, if you look at the original disciples, most of them died at the hands of their enemies. But God does promise that when we are in a period of darkness, 
when we are hurt, when we are grieving, when we are alone, when we are mourning, God will be present with us. God will be a light in that darkness. But God works in strange and mysterious ways. We might not be able to see it. We might not be able to feel it at the time. We might never understand it. But we have to operate on faith that God is there. And sometimes, if we're fortunate, sometimes if we're lucky, we can look back and see in retrospect God at work in us and through us. When we were living in Illinois, we were in one small town surrounded by several small towns. And the small town next to us, Elmwood, was struck by a tornado. It struck on a Sunday evening. It struck the local movie theater that was full of people. It tore buildings apart. We were very lucky that no one was hurt, no one was injured. And everyone thought, this is the end of Elmwood. It's a small town that is barely supporting itself. It's making ends meet. And they walked in darkness. But as they got their feet back under them, as they started to assess, as the insurance started coming money, money started coming in, they started rebuilding and made Elmwood better than it was before. It grew, it prospered. They made improvements. It became a, one of the most attractive small towns in the area. When they're in the depth of the darkness, they couldn't see the light shining, but looking back, they saw God at work in their community and in their people. I'm not saying that God caused the tornado to come. I don't believe that God causes the tragedies in our life, and and anyone who tells you otherwise is wrong. But I do believe that when tragedy strikes, when we are hurting, when we are alone, God can work through our pain. God can work through our grief. I've shared with you before the pain of our adoption process, how we had many adoptions fall through. And there are two for me that sent me into deep darkness. The first fell through days before the birth mother was due. We'd bought all the furniture for the nursery. We had colors picked out. We had sheets. We had clothes. We had everything. We were ready to go. All we had to do was unbox the crib and put it together when we got news that the mother was keeping her child. And we were devastated. We were fortunate enough to have good friends that said, you don't need this furniture in your house as a reminder. Let us put it in our basement. The fourth adoption that fell through was a month before Hannah was born. And this birth mother had birth parent expenses that that we were supposed to pay. We knew it was going to stretch our budget. So we decided to start doing freezer meals where you make 30 meals at a time and freeze them. It was more economical and it was better that way. So we had 30 meals in the freezer and word came that circumstances had changed and we would not be adopting that child. And we were ready to walk away. In fact, we told our attorney that If nothing happens by the end of the year, we're done. We want to walk away on our own terms. And it was a place of deep darkness. It was a place of pain. But not a month later, we got the phone call about Hannah's birth mother, that Hannah would be coming home to us. And we we had three days notice, and we went to uh, to meet the birth mother. She happened to be in labor, so we went to the hospital And we came home with a toddler. We went from one week, not not a toddler, an infant. (laughs) 
Um, so, yes, yes, she was an infant. She was a very little infant. No way she could be a toddler. For, in the span of one week, we went from having no idea we'd have a child soon to having an infant in our house. But while we were in the hospital, our friends who had taken the furniture came and they painted the nursery and they put the nursery together and we came home to a fully built nursery. And we came home and we had no idea how to care for an infant. We'd never been parents before. We didn't know what we were going to do. And we had 30 days of meals in the freezer. All we had to do was pop it in the microwave. It was wonderful. God was working in our grief and through us. God was doing wonderful things. We were walking in darkness and had no idea that God was active. God didn't cause those adoptions to go through, but God was present with us and helping us through it. And that is where we find our comfort. That is where we find relief. That's where we find hope. When we are lost, when we mourn, when we hurt, when we're afraid, we are a people that walk in darkness. But there is a great light. There is something greater than us. There is a God who loves us and cares for us and is continually present with us and lifting us up. And that gives us hope during Advent. It gives us hope during the rest of the year. And that's what Isaiah was trying to impart on his people. That yes, it looked like things were falling apart and they were, but there is a light. There is a God that loves them and walks with them. And that God loves us and walks with us too. Amen.